TCU falls to Iowa State 27 to 14 and falls to three and three on the season. Chandler Morris gets hurt. So are we officially in the Josh Hoover era? We break down the loss plus TCU baseball is getting up and rolling for the fall. All that and more right now on Frogs Insider. Welcome in to Frogs Insider. Tammy Plunkett here alongside Melissa Trebowasser. As always, we are a part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network. You can find our podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Just search Republic of Football Network or Frogs Insider and you'll find our feed. Make sure that you've liked and subscribed to all of the things. Melissa, I don't have the heart or the energy to do much in the way of podcast business this afternoon because well, I, I I just watched whatever that was on yeah. Saturday night. Um, it, listen, despite my feelings about the current state of TCU football, my feelings about the current state of home field apparel are always positive. Hey, there you go. And so we can start right there and get that business right off the top. Um, I am forever. Listen, it's go frogs forever, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's always go frogs. As we saw a couple people tweet last night during we're recording this on Sunday. So during Saturday night's game, um, it's always go frogs. And so if I'm going to feel badly about uh, the result of a game, I'm going to put on a really, really great t-shirt Yes, and it has to be a t-shirt right now because it is once again, 95 degrees in Sacramento. I don't know how this happened. It's hotter um, there than it is here yes. in Texas. And I, and I know I'm coming in for the game next week and I noted that it's supposed to be hotter in Sacramento than it is in <laughs> Fort Worth on Saturday. So there's that. Um, but always the best. I actually had people text me screenshots of the um, home field apparel shirt I wore during um, the my interview with Levi about what a great shirt it was. And nice. you can find so many of those great shirts at home field apparel. And the cool thing is, is because they are one of our sponsors here on Frogs Insider, you can save 15% off your first order and 10% off of every subsequent order using the code FROGSIN15, F-R-O-G-S-I-N-1-5. 15% hoodies, sweatshirts, uh, t-shirts, joggers, uh, bomber jackets. They, they've got hats, not for TCU yet, but we can hope. Uh, just pretty much everything your heart desires to mm-hmm. pick you up when you're feeling bad about your football team. Um, at least you have something really cool and really unique to wear. Um, what's not really cool or really unique right now is the result of Saturday night's game up in Ames. Um one thing that was indeed cool and unique and, and home field apparel did a couple cool things in honor of this was TCU. If you're going to lose on the road to a team that's struggling, at least do it when they're wearing just the coolest throwback uniforms I've seen in college football in a long time on a night where they are. Oh, you don't, you disagree. I see a look. <laughs> I see a look in your face. Okay. All right. Let's just start here. We don't need to talk about the actual game. Let's no. talk about how the game looked. Um, so those that are not aware, Jack Trice um, was the first black athlete, student athlete at Iowa State. Um, he was, for all intents and purposes, basically murdered during a football game um, at Minnesota. He was, because uh, he was the only black player on the field, he was given some dirty hits. He was stomped on when he was on the ground. And the injuries that he suffered during the game um, led to his untimely death uh, just a day or two later. Uh, today, as we record this on Sunday, is the 100-year anniversary of his death um, that, again, basically occurred during a football game for the uh, crime of being a Black football player. Um, and so they honored Jack Trice, who, 
is also the only um, black student athlete to have a stadium named after him in college sports um, yesterday with uniforms that were throwbacks to uh, the Jack Trice era. I thought they were perfect. I love them with my whole heart, other than the fact that it did look like they were pantless um, on television. And that, but that honestly just made me laugh at a time where I was not having much to smile back. The Ames helmets, oh, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Wouldn't change a thing. Um, I give them a 10 out of 10. Uh, the best looking thing that I saw in the field was absolutely not the football being played by either team. It was those uniforms. Please tell me why I'm wrong, Jamie Plunkett. Okay, I do agree with you on the helmets because the helmets were elite. God, they were the so good. The helmets were so good. Everything else about that uniform was an unmitigated disaster. It was terrible. The color <laughs> scheme, terrible. The pants, nude for football pants, not the way to go. Not the way to go. There were three or four times where I'm watching an Iowa State defensive lineman and I'm like, did I just see his butt? No, it's just the color of the pants. Spencer yeah. Hall tweeted the best screen cap of something about a linebacker coming to destroy you in his skivvies. And I was like, <laughs> that's basically what it looked like. It looked like yeah. they had undergarments on. I, I understand like, like the shield yeah. uh, armor kind of concept that they had back in the day that they're, they're rocking those throwbacks and like the shield logo that they had on the field looked really great, but just the whole reconstruction of this uniform for a modern feel they just it was a huge swing and a miss it's like the baltimore orioles in the alds right now they just can't push anything across home plate it's tough it's really tough i say that as the rangers go up two games to nothing on said baltimore orioles so here we go so yeah well we're, we can agree to disagree um on how iowa state looked in handing it to tcu but i think we both agree that the horn frogs are in some serious trouble um, and, and not just based on losing two games in a row to West Virginia at home and at Iowa state place. They haven't won since 2015, which I do believe you threw down the curse ahead of that, uh, with a tweet. So we do owe you most of the blame here. Yes. Um, but when you look at the, the short-term, long-term prognosis of this football team and the uncertain status of, uh, Chandler Morris, who I thought Jeff Mitchell, I, I saw a post on the board today that, that basically said, when you watch a guy walk off the field in crutches, Halfway through the season, you don't expect them to play a lot of football this year. And I think that's that's all we know at this point, but mm -hmm. that is what we know. Um, TCU certainly has some things to fix. We've been knowing this, as the kids say, um, but now the ability to fix them is going to be hampered by going to your backup quarterback, a redshirt freshman that uh, in two out of the three times he's made an appearance in a game, he has fumbled the first snap that he has faced. So um, there are some concerns. There were some flashes, and we'll talk about the bright spots there. Um, but before we get into the future, let's kind of quickly rehash the past. Um, before Chandler Morris's injury, TCU really struggled offensively moving the ball against Iowa State. Um, and the defense stood up a few times and made some stops but eventually got worn down by TC's inability to stay on the field and, and move the ball much on the offensive side or the quick turnovers that happened um, on consecutive drives that also uh, kind of just set the tone for the evening. Yeah, they really did. And so I, this is uh, a tweet that I put out on Saturday night and it's a recap of the last 18 offensive drives. Yeah, I did not for like this TCU. tweet. I was because, aware of it. I saw it. I decided not to like it because so, I did not like it. No, that's fair. <laughs> a lot of people, it got a lot of traction from people who are asking big questions about things. But um, so this starts from the first possession TCU had in the second half against West Virginia. It goes through the entire Iowa State game. 
18 drives total, six in each half, by the way, of those three halves. Punt, 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 missed field goal blocked, missed field goal blocked, interception, interception, turnover on downs, touchdown, punt, blocked punt, 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 interception, turnover on downs, interception, touchdown. That's bad. Two scoring drives of their last and in their last 18 total drives is not great. Not great. It's not great. It seems, it seems less than great. And here's so two things that I noticed in this Iowa State game that I thought was interesting. First, we've been talking a lot about the offensive line this season already. We know about the moves that they made in the offseason to bring Willis Patrick in from the transfer portal, Colton Deary in from the transfer portal. They got a really great freshman in their class in Ben Taylor Whitfield. Um, and after all of the all of the pieces were kind of in place in fall, they settled on moving Andrew Coker from right tackle to left tackle, moving Brandon Coker or Brandon Coleman from left tackle to left guard. And that was kind of the experiment with Michael Nichols at right tackle for the first five games of the season against Iowa State on Saturday, they reverted some things. They moved Andrew Coker back to right tackle. They, they, they pushed Brandon Coleman back out to left tackle. They had Patrick at right guard like he has been, John Lands at center like he has been, and then they were rotating Ben Taylor Whitfield and Colton Deary at left guard. And I will say it looked much better in the run game on Saturday night. Yes, they were they absolutely. were getting they were making a lot of, of better they were doing better things in the run block game on Saturday night, which is part of the reason why Amani Bailey was able to run for 152 yards on 21 carries, continue his hot streak of being one of the better running backs in the Big 12. He looked awesome. The line helped a lot in that regard. Pass blocking wise, still not great. Still yeah. not where it needs to be. And uh, I wonder now you know, if this is going to be kind of the change moving forward, who fills in at left guard? Last year, we saw Lands and Wes Harris kind of rotate at the right guard spot, but Wes Harris was kind of the main guy there. They got to find a one and a two at left guard. I don't know that rotating guys in at that position is going to be very effective, especially when you're talking about a guy who's a sophomore who played most of last year at center for Maryland and a true freshman. You got to have some stability there. You got to let guys get into a rhythm there, I think. Well, and it's far too important of a position from it, especially if you're going to be starting a very inexperienced quarterback here. You've got to be able to protect that blind side. And, you know, like I said, like we, we started talking about this in the spring is there were a lot of guys and they were pretty confident they had eight to 10 guys without a lot of difference. But what we're mm -hmm. seeing is that, unfortunately, that's because all of these guys have, for the most part, been I mean, just kind of minorly effective in, in parts of their roles. Like you said, the, the run blocking against Iowa State was really, really good. Um, it was, and, and, you know, give credit to Monty Bailey on that too, who it doesn't really matter if the blocking is good or bad. He makes plays, but he definitely had lines. He was getting to the second level before he was having to deal with contact on quite a few of those big run plays. Um, he was making guys miss as well. And he was, he was running through contact. And so that was a, when, when your running game is working, it's because both things are true, right? That the the mm -hmm. line is creating holes and that your running back is special. And Amani Bailey is absolutely special and the line did a good job, but yeah. um, you're not going to be able, especially like if we, I think it's safe to assume at this point that Chandler Morris is not starting Saturday against BYU. Mm -hmm. If, Josh Hoover is going to be starting, um, then you know that they are going, teams are going to take away the run. 
And so that offensive line is going to have to hold up better. One thing I did see with Hoover and his, you know, limited kind of opportunities is he did seem to get the ball out pretty quickly. And that's going to be a huge thing. That's something that we saw Chandler struggle with in the second half against West Virginia and continued to struggle with in the first half against Iowa state. So it's going to have to be able to, can you, can your first read get open? And if your first read's not open, is your second read open? Cause you're probably not going to get to your third and fourth read with the way that this offensive line has been playing so far this season. And so um that's a lot of this is going to fall you you can't fix a lot of these problems in season because you these are the guys that you've got but a lot of this is going to fall on Kendall Bryles to make some adjustments that we haven't really seen him make to this point and do so with a young and experienced quarterback he's going to have to find ways to get guys open and get them open quickly which means he should be spending a lot of time at the drawing board today and, and tomorrow with some wrinkles to be able to put in ahead of BYU on Saturday yeah, and I will say, so I got two, two things, one kind of to piggyback off of that. I did like some of the things that they did with Josh Hoover on, on Saturday night mm-hmm. when he got into the game, especially in the fourth quarter. They asked him to throw the ball downfield a little bit. Yep. Savion Williams should have had a catch on what was a be- yep. very beautiful deep ball thrown from Hoover. Um, and I liked the fact that that Bryles dialed that up simply because I think it's perfect way to get – a younger quarterback who maybe has some nerves just into the rhythm of the game is to, Hey, just get, drop back and throw the football down the field. Find, yeah. The find a one-on-one right. matchup. Yeah. Exactly. Just get into the rhythm of the game, get a feel for the speed of the game. And now let's start throwing the football around. And once Hoover did that, he was fairly good at finding open receivers. You've had mm-hmm. Dale uh, and Wright over the middle for a very large gain, uh, two passes in the red zone that both probably should have been caught one again yeah. to Dale and Wright on a fade from the slot Yep. That he only put one hand up for. If he puts up two hands, he probably yep. catches that football. And then one uh, on a wheel route to Corey Wren out of the backfield, who just fell down and dropped the yep. football short of the goal line on fourth down. So two opportunities for a touchdown pass there that were drops. Um, and then he, he had another really good pass over the middle to Blake Nowell. And then eventually uh, extending the play with his legs, which is not something that he had to do a lot of in high school. So that was good to see that he's kind of growing into that part of his game uh, and, and finding Blake Nowell in the back of the end zone for a, a late fourth quarter touchdown um all kind of good signs from josh hoover and i i i I liked the play calling from that standpoint because i thought it allowed him to get into a little bit of a rhythm rather than just oh we're down 10 whenever he comes in we are going to lean on a running back who's been running really well um that being said imani bailey only got second uh seven second half carries and for a guy who is averaging seven yards a carry when you do have a backup quarterback in, I think a great way to complement the passes that he is making is to do some things in the running game that you know are working because they were working in the first half. And they did they, they kind of got away from it a little bit. And I understand that score dictates that at, at some point, but you know, I, I you still I mean, have to lean on your workhorse, right? Lean on your workhorse. This is a guy who's shown he can give you 25, 30 carries a game. Uh he had 21. He only had two catches in the passing game, um, but there's there's just something I think that they can do there to to help Hoover out a, a little bit more moving forward. And and the the next thing that I wanted to say is we saw Chandler before he went down make some of the same mistakes he's been making all season. We saw a couple of the receivers making some of the same mistakes they've made all season. Some linemen making some of the same mistakes we've seen them make all season. And Sonny Dykes has been pretty clear for the last week or so that when you see consistent execution errors happening on the field, that points back to coaching. Mm -hmm. And he said that in the midweek press conference last week, he said it again in 
post game following the loss to Iowa State. He's like, the first place we have to look as coaches after this game is in the mirror. And <clears throat> he's absolutely right because, and it's funny because I was having this conversation with my wife last night. My wife, who hates football, does not like football at all. And oh, we she were, went to tech. Like, what is she, <clears> this mean, is true. She, is, she did go to it. Texas Tech. So yeah. she's been through the ringer when it comes to football. But I said, you know, and I was kind of relaying, like, hey, you know, this is some of the stuff that, that Sonny Dyke said. She's coached volleyball for a long time. And I was like, you know, at some point, right, like execution is a reflection of coaching. And she's like, I don't know. She's like, sometimes, yes. She's like, other times, though, you can pull every tool out of your bag. You can try every technique that you know, teaching-wise, coaching-wise, whatever it might be, and the kid just will not get it and will not do what you need them to do in the moment. And so I'm wondering right now, like, where the push and pull is for for this team specifically. Like, what? because you know Sonny Dykes, I mean, he's been in a bad mood pretty much all year at this point. Yeah. Like, he's trying whatever he can try on the practice field to get the most out of his coaches, to get the most out of these players. Coaches are probably doing the same thing. Players are probably reaching into the bag to try and figure something out as well. Like, where does it all land as far as is it execution versus coaching? Is it a combination of the two, which is kind of where I am right now? Or is it just, hey, this is kind of what this team is this year. They're going to make mistakes. They don't have guys that can cover those mistakes up. So, well, and I think, I think Skylar makes a really good point in the fact that, yeah, there, there are definitely kids who, you know, you talk about coachability, right. And, mm -hmm. and, and your ability to not just hear and listen, but process and execute. And, and I think it's absolutely, you know, a, a little bit of both here, but you know, I'm, I'm a coach, you know, obviously yep. I'm coaching flag football this year. I've coached basketball for a long time. When I have a kid, I always tell kids all the time, you make, you make a mistake. That's never a problem. You make the same mistake. It's a problem. Mm -hmm. And so if, if, if you do something like I, I've been working with my quarterback, she was throwing interceptions over the middle. So we ta kept talking about it, kept talking about it, kept talking about it. And there, there was a game where a couple weeks ago where both my quarter, like they were making, I, I pulled her like, you gotta, like, if you aren't going to do what I told you to do and it was pregame speech was all about, don't, don't make this specific mistake. So you make that specific mistake twice you're out. And like, that's what I haven't seen is if you're seeing wide receivers, not finishing their routes, if you're seeing, and it's a little bit harder, obviously, with a power five football quarterback when your backup is a redshirt freshman. But mm -hmm. you like you if it's not working, something has to change. And if truly let's give the benefit of the doubt to the coaches, because why would we not? Uh, let's say that they are doing all the things that they can do to prepare. If I mean, I don't I don't want to pick on a particular player here, but I think we can all think of a wide receiver that's maybe been a little bit disappointing in his effort and, and attitude and how hard he's been playing. Um so why, why are those players still starting? Mm. You've got all this wide receiver depth, supposedly. Where, like, where's, and I don't know, so there could be something I've missed here, but like, where is Cornell Russell? That was a kid that was, all we heard about was how he was outworking everybody in fall camp. And he's had such limited, and I maybe you want to redshirt the kid. You know what? You don't get to redshirt high, high four-star kids with 30 offers. You don't get that luxury because those kids leave. And your TCU and you're playing a bad season and your wide receivers have been, I mean, look, look at last night. There's not a single receiver that had more than five receptions. Mm -hmm. The one receiver that had five receptions with JP Richardson, those five receptions went for 31 yards. Everybody yeah. else was two or less. So, so we're not like, and, and obviously there were, there were quarterback issues or like all of the things. Right. But that's not an inconsistent, like that's something we've seen those types of things now. So why are we not letting some of these young guys get in there and push the veterans for PT? Why are you not just saying at this point, you're three and three, 
You're obviously, mm-hmm. you still have something to play for. Yep. You're still playing for a bowl eligibility. But all we heard about was how this was the physically the best, attitude the best, hardest working, true freshman class we've ever seen. We've seen a couple of those guys on the field. But but why why aren't we seeing more of them? Why don't you send a message if it is partially player responsibility as the head coach, as the assistant coach, as the coordinator start? This might be the time to send the message and say the hardest working dudes are going to be the ones on the field Saturday, period. Yeah. I, I mean, you you've got to start figuring something out. We've seen we've seen the offensive line shuffle now. You know, Sonny has said for the last couple of weeks that the best ability for his wide receivers at this point is availability. He's very clearly disappointed with how some of them are practicing. He's yeah. clearly disappointed that some of them are not out there parts of the time. Um, and there is no doubt at this point that that has affected the offense in a negative way because Absolutely. you can't you can't build um, you can't build trust with your wide receiver by just getting reps in a game. Like I, it's just not going to happen. I see it in high school girls flag football. When a kid misses a practice, they almost always play terrible the next day. Mm-hmm. Almost always. Like you have, you have to be out there every single day. And if dudes are hurt, if dudes are, well, if dudes are injured by all means, but like, I got, I have a girl, like, I don't even want to tell you how swollen her freaking hand was. And she's out there pulling flags. Yeah. I'd made sure her parents said it was okay. I'm not doing anything irresponsible <laughs> here, but, but I mean, it's like the thing, it's like you either like the stuff that I watch these girls play through with again with permission they're not they're cleared but like yeah. you either want to be out there or you don't mm-hmm. and and that's my thing and i think that's probably the most disappointing thing to me about this season is last year and and i hate to do this right but last year dude, the thing that those guys were playing for because they wanted to be out there because they understood how important every single day was like yeah. that's what's missing like that yeah. that to me is the thing is where's that fire where's that hunger where's that that so much love for the guy next to you that you're going to play And again, don't play through injuries, but man, everybody's playing hurt in October. Everybody's yeah, playing hurt. Everybody's nobody's hundred percent. Nobody's hundred percent at this point in the year. And, and you've got to find some sort of will within yourself to go out there and, and do what you need to do to win football games. If that's what you want to do, right? Like yeah. it, these, all the, all these guys have uh, a wonderful opportunity to play division one football. Now you got to go and show, that you deserve it and that you want it more than the next guy who's trying to come and take your scholarship. Um, and, and I'm not saying that there aren't guys on the roster yeah, like that at all. Right. But I'm just saying like, this is, this is the, this is the gut check time where things aren't breaking your way, where you're losing some games that you probably shouldn't. Now you, now you see who really wants it. Uh, so, so now we're going to see who really wants it for TCU just to reset here a little bit. Chandler Morris does go down in the third quarter with an injury he was on crutches on the sidelines um we don't have specifics on that injury yet he was getting some tests done on sunday when they got back to fort worth but uh one person that i spoke to says we're probably not going to see him for a while and so uh, it's gonna be josh hoover season melissa we're gonna see him at least against byu probably in the next couple of weeks after that as well against kansas state and then I believe the game after that is Texas Tech in Lubbock um, or Texas, one of the two. I mean, you get into November here pretty quickly and uh, the schedule ramps up. So, you know, we saw what we saw from him on Saturday night, mostly in the fourth quarter. What is your hope for him over these next couple of weeks as he takes over the QB1 role? I mean, I want to know what we've got in this kid. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like that, that's kind of, kind of my biggest thing is, is, you know, they, they showed so much faith in him um, to back up Chandler that we heard such great things in the spring. We heard such great things in the fall. Um, you know, I, I think that this is an opportunity for, um, you know, the fan base and the coaching staff to really evaluate if this is a kid that can be, you know, the, the heir apparent or is going to be a, a part of this quarterback rotation going forward. Um, and this is his opportunity to, to show us what he's capable of, um, you know, from a, from a big picture perspective of, of, is this a kid that, that can play at this level, um, and, and win football games for TCU from a micro perspective on a week to week basis. Um, you know, he's just got to keep TCU competitive. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we, we saw, we've, we've obviously broken down over the last several weeks, what, um, where there have been some weaknesses, especially in the red zone and where, where Chandler Morris has shown flashes of being really elite and also shown flashes of, um, of kind of struggling, uh, you know, to, to be able to move the offense at critical times. And so, this is an opportunity for, for Josh Hoover to, to kind of show, show us what he can do in those situations. I don't expect him to put up the same kind of numbers, you know, from a passing yards um, and, and, you know, completion percentage that, that Chandler was putting up, but, you know, can he move the ball? Can he get TCU in the end zone? Can he move the ball effectively in the red zone? Um, and, and I want to see the adjustments that the, the TCU offensive coaching staff makes in order to fit his particular skill set. Like you said, he, they, they let him throw the ball down the field. That's obviously a strength for him. It's not necessarily a strength for Chandler Morris. We've got supposedly all these playmakers and all these guys that should be able to stretch the field. We've got all this speed at the wide receiver position. So yeah, let's, let's try and break some more of those explosive plays. Let's give the kid, you know, a, an opportunity to prove himself in that regard. Uh, my biggest thing is like, just don't turn it over and yep. keep, keep yourself ahead of the chains. And let's hope that the offense doesn't shoot itself in the foot with just terrible penalties which we haven't even talked about yet but that's one of the biggest gripes that i have uh, it's just the yes. really terrible and terribly timed penalties um and and i want to see uh kendall bryles really adjust to josh hoover to keep imani bailey involved and to give him opportunities to kind of carry the workload for this team but but to give hoover a chance to to succeed and or fail um you know halfway through the season you're three and three you've got the 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 worst part of your season ahead, but you've got winnable games. You know, BYU is a winnable game. You still have Baylor at home. That's a winnable game. Um, you've got, you're going to have to travel to Kansas state, which is going to be a, a tough one, but Kansas state certainly doesn't look invulnerable. Uh, you've got to travel to Lubbock, which is tough, but again, Texas tech certainly does not look um, like they aren't partially vulnerable here. I mean, there are winnable games on the schedule. If, if Josh Hoover ends up starting the last six games and gets TC to a bowl game, that to me is, is a success for him. Um, for, for the program, but um, I, I think that, that we'll see pretty quickly how hard TCU needs to um, hit, hit the portal this, this winter based upon um, how he is able to perform in these last few weeks. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, it's long overdue for all of us to kind of reset our expectations for the 2023 football season. Um, I don't think all hope is lost, like some people seem to think. I think that there are still some very good things that can come out of this season. Um, and I think the best silver lining for a year like this is you get to see who really wants it. And yeah. we saw that from 18, 19, 20, and 21 guys on the roster. And that, that bore out in a great 20, uh, 2022 season. Um, 
and maybe the adversity that they're facing this year leads to a really great 2024, but you know, there's yeah. still, still 50% of the season left to play this year. Uh, a lot of guys can go out there and show how much they want it, show what they want to do for TCU football. And, and I'm excited to see who steps up in that way. I think it'll be really interesting to kind of diagnose that moving forward. So um, Melissa, before we shift gears off of this game, uh, into another thing that I wanted to talk about tonight. I do want to give a shout out to our other excellent sponsor. That is Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. You're wearing home field apparel. I am currently rocking Hell's Half Acre, the football champions of 1930 so t-shirt. It's an incredible t-shirt. They've got polos. They've got shirts. They've got hoodies. They've got hats. They've got all of the equipment you need for your tailgate to be decked out in purple and white. Go to hellshalfacresg.com and check out all of their stuff. And in the comments, when you've purchased your order, say that you heard about them on the Frogs Insider podcast. Let them know that you heard about them from us and make sure that you are ready for game day because there are still quite a few big home games left on the 2023 schedule. And we're in October. We're less than a month away from TCU hoops starting up. And so hey. you've got you've got to get ready for hoop season Baseball's got a couple scrimmages this fall before they get into their season in the spring. Their schedule's dropping in early November, and it is a banger. Just let me tell you that right now. Yeah. There are some very fun teams on the schedule. It's a banger. I'm very excited for TCU Athletics, and there is no better partner to get you ready for game day than Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. So go and check them out. Melissa, I've gone to two TCU inter-squad baseball games in the last three days. And I'm very excited for baseball. I got tan today. Can you see my watch tan line? Wow, look at that. Look at that. So look happy that. for you. Yeah. Yeah. For the YouTube for the, viewers. This yeah, is for premium the listening, YouTube content right Yeah. Here. For the listening only audience, let me just say that Jamie looks very not tan where his watch is and slightly less not tan where his watch wasn't. Let's go. It's a success for October. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. A successful October. Um, so what, what I love about an inter-squad scrimmage is we can't lose. You can't, and TCU didn't, especially because they weren't keeping score in the traditional way of keeping score in baseball. Um, so they definitely didn't lose either scrimmage that way. Um, instead, what they were doing is they were documenting how to play baseball the right way. So even if you don't score a run in the inning, if a guy got the bunt down or if a guy moved a runner over or if you made the right play with the baseball in your hands you're earning points for your squad uh and so i think it was like 81 to 72 or something like that by the end of sunday but wow baseball's really changed no pitching um but but uh no it, it, it's been fun to get out there and see some of these new faces really contribute um took the family out there on sunday afternoon it was nice um i'll say this uh, i was hearing all fall about how excited this coaching staff was for the bats and the potential mm. of the bats on this roster and the last last couple of times i've been out there i can absolutely see why they're very excited about the bats peyton Tolley is uh a mammoth of a human being first and foremost he hit two home runs on sunday afternoon one he's a left-handed hitter one was opposite field into the tcu bullpen nice. and then the other was pretty much to dead center, just right of the batter's eye that they've constructed this off season. Um, and both times it sounded beautiful. It was pretty much a no doubter right off the bat. Um, he's going to be a really fun guy to watch in the top third of this lineup. 
moving forward. Um, another guy that I've really liked getting to see play is Jack Basier. He's the Pepperdine transfer uh, who's probably going to slot in at third base this year as the quote unquote Braden Taylor replacement, although nobody deserves to have that sure. hanging around their neck. Yeah, um, but he's probably going to be TCU starting third baseman, probably batting fourth, maybe fifth in the lineup. Um, really strong bat, very good defensively. Uh, I've liked what I've seen from him as well. Um, but Melissa, there are some freshmen on this team. You know, we, we talked a lot last year about the freshmen, right? Anthony Silva, Carson Bowen, uh, Cole Klecker, Ben Abeltz, this Louis Rodriguez, like all of these freshmen that came in at clutch moments and made big, big plays. I have a feeling that there are some guys who could be the, this year's version of those freshmen. Um, Pretty heavy. There are two names. There are two names specifically that I really want to call out in this moment. And the first one is Chase Brunson. Brunson was a longtime commitment to uh, another university. I think it was Loyola Marymount. Um, He was drafted in the 18th round by the Toronto Blue Jays this, this uh, summer. Uh, But when Loyola Marymount changed their coaching staff over, he decommitted and committed to TCU and is coming is on campus despite being drafted in the 18th round by the Toronto Blue Jays. So uh, he's a guy who's been playing a lot of center field for this team. So again, not a moniker that you want to hang around anybody's neck, but yeah. quote unquote, the Elijah Nunez replacement. Um, but this, this is kind of part of what they've been trying to feel out this fall is who's going to end up playing center field. Um, at the beginning of the fall, I would have probably said it was going to be Luke Boyers just because he's got really good speed. He's a good defensive outfielder. He's been in right field for most of the time. Brunson's been in center, Logan Maxwell in left. And obviously they're rotating a bunch of other guys through those spots as well. Um, and then another guy that I saw pitch today and I was pretty impressed by uh, is uh, another freshman um, by the name of, uh, oh my God, where did it go? Uh, Carson Cormier. And so he's a kid from Westfield, Massachusetts, 6'5", 225, hard-throwing right-handed pitcher who did well through two innings of work today. Uh, Wait, did you, did you just say 6'5", 225, true freshman? Yeah, that's correct. And he's not a linebacker. He's a pitcher for the baseball team. Wow. He's a big dude. Not uh, a linebacker yet, you said. True. <laughs> true. Not a joke. not a not a left guard yet. Um <clears throat> that also a joke. Um, but no, he he pitched against some really good bats today. Um he struck out Basir once. He got um Curtis Byrne to get hit a weak ground ball to the infield that ended up being an error. He had old miss transfer Peyton Chattanooga. Chattanier hit a soft fly out to left field. Um, he battled really, really well against some other guys. Uh, he did end up giving up a, a home run to Peyton Tolley, but we're going to excuse him of that. Yeah. And then in his second inning of work, he got Zach Wattis, another freshman to keep an eye on who could see some time at first base. Uh, he got Wattis to ground out into a double play to end the inning. So two really good innings of work from him on Sunday afternoon. It was fun to see him uh, mix it up a little bit. And then just kind of one of my last notes, uh, that I wanted to shout out was Cademan Parker was back on the mound. Uh, he right. dealt with Tommy John last last year. He pitched a couple of innings on Sunday afternoon. Looked really good. Um, had a has a really good move to second, by the way, and that that came into play a couple times because of some situations they were putting him in, and um, that that was pretty fun to see. One one little or I guess two little injury notes uh, along the way as well. Uh, we will not be seeing Cohen Feaser this year. He just had Tommy John surgery and is out for the year. Uh, which is a, a big hit to TCU's bullpen. 
Fieser was a big asset last year out of the pen, and they're certainly going to miss him this year. Uh, the other one is that we've been told Carson Bowen is going pretty. It, it, they're they're working really. They're giving him a lot of time this fall to recover and rest from a freshman year where he played more than anyone could have possibly imagined yeah. that he would have played. Um, they're bringing him along really slowly. He was a little banged up over the summer. They're just letting him recover, uh, which is good because they're, they're getting some other guys in at catcher freshman trip. Landers has been catching a lot. Uh, Juco transfer, Tim Reynolds has been catching a lot, not as much uh, Curtis burn behind the plate. Um, but where we have been seeing Curtis burn, where I saw him at on Sunday was first base playing a little first base. And okay. so they're trying, they're trying to figure out, you know, they've got all these bats, right? I think that's the, that's the challenge right now. We've got all these bats. Where do we put them to make sure that they can get into the lineup at, at times. And so it'll be really interesting to see throughout the rest of the fall, how all of that shakes up. They've got two uh, scrimmages that you can go and see. The first one is on October 21st where they're playing at Texas state. So any of the South Texas Horn Frog fans, who want to see TCU baseball play, you can go out to Texas State on the 21st at 11 a.m. and see the Frogs play there. That's really cool. And then at Lupton, the next Saturday on October 28th, the Frogs will be playing Sam Houston State. That's at noon. So get down to Texas State on the 21st at 11 a.m. if you live down there or come to Lupton at uh, noon on the 28th against Sam Houston. That's a TCU football bye week as well. So like there's... Not a lot going on that day. Yeah, get over to Lepton and, and see the Horn Frogs play a little baseball. And it's, normally, the, the cool things about those scrimmages is that they go like eleven or twelve or thirteen innings because yeah. they just want to get pitchers in the game and get them some run. Is Friday night the night before that the um, the Schulmeyer live? Mm-hmm. So what a what a weekend! Oh yeah, Ford. Rick Rick Ross on Friday Rick night. Ross in Fort Worth <laughs> and the skills. Co- I loved the video they put out uh, between the men's and the women's basketball team. That was so cool. It was so great. So I think I'm I'm taking uh, I'm taking Mark Campbell's squad. I think the women are going to upset the men in the skills competition this year. That's uh, I mean, hey, they're defending their title, right? So yeah. what has happened once can certainly happen again. I'm interested to see what Jameer Nelson Jr. can do in these yeah. skills competitions. What Trey Tennyson can do yeah. in some of these shooting competitions. I'm very excited to see how this goes this year. I think it'll be pretty competitive and a lot of fun to see. I'm super excited for TCU basketball this fall. I mean, we've, we've had a lot of reason to look forward to the start of basketball season the last couple of years, but um, I, I think with just with the way that the men's team has looked and with the reconstruction on the fly that Mark Campbell did with the women's mm-hmm. side, um, I think Schulmeyer arena is going to have a lot of, a lot of good excitement this, this winter. It's not going to be easy um, on either side. The big 12 is loaded for both the men's and the women's um, uh, brackets, but I think there should be a lot of really good basketball played this fall. It's going in, in winter, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think there could be some cool basketball news coming up soon. You know, they're waiting on a couple guys to commit from the high school ranks right now. Malik Diallo, a six eleven center from Mali, um, and then uh, David Punch, a power forward from down in, just outside of the Austin area. Uh, are two guys that are probably going to end up making their announcements before the end of the month, and they are both. Um, I, I would put them both as TCU leans at this point. And so, you know, you're, you're talking about recruiting, heating up for hoops. Baseball brought in another elite freshman class, another portal class. Football just landed a 2025 kid who's uh, a, an absolute stud, probably in the slot uh, 
for, I guess not next year, but the year after his class from, you know, building that North Crowley pipeline. Like there's a lot of positive stuff around, around TCU athletics right now. It can feel like everything kind of is a drag when football isn't playing at the level we hoped, but there's so much, there's so much good happening in TCU athletics right now. Women's volleyball got a win over Cincinnati. Soccer, soccer is crushing. Big upset. Yeah. Soccer. Equestrian. Like everything, everything's really still coming up TCU. Just got to just got to grin and bear it through through the first six weeks of football and hope that it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, there's lots of other if you want to want to see um, TCU athletics, uh, lots of other teams to be supporting and watching and lots of other great games to be a part of that soccer atmosphere still remains one of the best in the country. So and that that team is really hitting their stride. Eric Bell has has those girls absolutely rolling at this point. So yeah, it'll be fun to see what they can do as they kind of get to the, through the meat of their conference schedule and get ready for the postseason. It certainly will. Um, I think that might just end up doing it for this episode, Melissa, a little bit of a shorter episode, but the people, people deserve some time back, I think, to sit in their feelings after yeah. that loss to Iowa State. I will say shout out to Amari DiMercato, his yeah. first professional touchdown uh, Kendra Miller Cardinals Kendra Miller catching four passes yeah he caught 16 passes in his senior year for TCU he's caught five already for the Saints this year yeah. including a nice 30 30 uh 33 yard game and and we're not ending win. this we're not ending this just because we want to be able to watch people like D Winters Matt Pryor and uh Kevontae Turpin and Ben Banigou you know suit up in mm-hmm. Sunday night football with uh, Jamie and I uh, have our friendship tested Oh, go Cowboys. It's going to go, go so Niners. poorly. It's going to go so poorly. But... I don't know. I, I I don't know. I think it's going to be a good game. All right. You say go Niners. I say go, go Cowboys. But to end this podcast, we always both say go Frogs. Go Frogs. <laughs>